You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Seven minutes after 10, it is The Naked Scientist. Fastest fingers first. I told you it gets very busy. You can give us a call right now and put your questions to him in Jawsey on 011-883-0702 and in Cape Town on the number 021-446-0567. There's no such thing as a dumb or uninteresting question. Chris loves the variety of questions he gets from you. The quirkier and the more interesting, the more we love having you um, actually put those to him. You often keep it very medical. That's okay. Chris will take any question, but any question literally will do. So something that's been on your mind and you haven't been wanting to utter it, just do so right now. It's a safe, fun space in the world of science. Hello, Chris. Good morning. Chris, I am fascinated by a story. I was just speaking to Mohaw about it. He was pretending to be the naked scientist for 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> How? <laughs> How did you do that? Well, he didn't get very far because I asked him about, apparently there's a so, kind so of... Stop taking your clothes off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> about a certain frog that manages not to poison itself. And I assume that while you will tell us about this frog, there will be interesting reasons why... In the rest of the world of the science, we should care to understand this. Yes, indeed. Well, this is the uh, poison dart frog, which you find these in southern America, and you also find them in Central America. They live in the rainforest. They're brightly coloured, and they have one of the most powerful toxins that any animal makes. In fact, if you had one hundred millionth of one gram of what comes off of these frogs, you could kill a 68-kilo human with it. Jeez. So that's the equivalent of two tiny crystals of salt that would come out of your salt cellar. <laughs> so these toxins that the frogs make are exqueme- extremely exquisitely potent. And where the frogs get them from, actually, is their diet. There are various creatures and and things that they eat in the rainforest, including centipedes and so on, that make these chemicals. The frogs are not sensitive to them. They concentrate them in glands in their skin, and then they ooze them out over their skin surface. And the point is to be a very powerful deterrent Mm. to anything that is thinking of turning them into a frog-sized meal. Mm. But obviously, if you pack a, a potent chemical punch like that, one has to wonder, well, well, why don't you kill yourself? Because if this stuff is leaching out onto your own skin surface, and, and if I came into contact with it, I wouldn't last long, why isn't the frog vulnerable? And this has bothered scientists for some time. And, in fact, there is a paper, it's in the journal PNAS this week, and scientists at the State University of New York, this is a, a duo called Wang and Wang, have managed to solve the problem. Now, we know that these batrachotoxins work by hitting what's called a, a, a voltage operated sodium channel or a VOC on the surface of muscle cells there are these pores on the cell surface that allow sodium to flow into the cell in small quantities and this activates the muscle and makes it contract so it's really important these channels operate just for a short time to let a whiff of sodium in and that's the signal that triggers the muscle to then shorten for a Mm. short period of time what these toxins do is they go into that channel and it's a bit like jamming a crowbar in there and they stop the channel from closing again. So it basically just stuffs the cell full of sodium and completely paralyzes it. And that's why people who are exposed to these toxins and and the American Indians who used to use these toxins still do on on blow darts and things, they dip their darts on this secretion from the frog and then they blow the dart into an animal they want to catch and eat and and it becomes paralyzed and dies. They catch it, they can eat it because you can break the toxin down if you cook the animal. Now, uh, what, what was intriguing was, well... 
if this stuff just blocks up these channels and makes them work relentlessly, why don't the frogs die? What these two scientists in New York found is that there are five genetic differences between the sodium channels that we have and rats and mice have and these frogs. So they, in a dish, added each of the five changes genetically to a cell to see which of the changes was necessary and sufficient to make the cells become invulnerable to this frog toxin. And they found it. It's just one genetic change which mm. changes one amino acid in the structure of the channel. And, and that renders it completely um, unaffected toxin. Why does this matter? Because when we actually use these toxins, we can understand a lot about the, the electrical activity of cells and tissues and the physiology of cells and tissues, mm. which helps us to understand how things can go wrong in health. It helps us to discover new medicines and actually understanding how these channels work may lead us down the path of discovering new medicines to help things like heart problems, blood pressure problems and muscle problems if we understand electrically how these tissues work. And it's often through things like these toxins that nature has evolved that we learn new things about how things work. Oh, fascinating. Let's take one from the SMS line. We didn't get to this one last week, and then I'm going to go to our callers who are already calling. Um, this person is Anonymous Chris. They've got two scenarios, but I think the question is actually simpler and generalizes. It goes as following in the form in which it is SMS to us. Chris, why do people scream when they fall from the highest building or cliff before crashing on the ground? Hmm. I think probably there's a whole range of reactions that we go through when we sense a loss of control. I remember the first time I jumped off a very high diving board at the swimming pool. It was that I, I thought, I'm not scared of heights, I'll just get up on that <laughs> massive high board. And I went to the very top one. And then, of course, the pride effect kicked in and I had to jump because all my mates were in the <laughs> swimming pool below laughing at me. But I, I jumped off and I had this involuntary shaking and writhing of my legs and sort of almost like I was running in midair on the way down. And, and of course, I then did the most unceremonious splat straight into the water. <laughs> it was exquisitely painful. And it takes quite a lot of mind over matter to next time you get up there and jump off to, to keep yourself as sort of rigid as an arrow yeah. to make sure that you then enter the water with presenting the least surface area. So it's a nice, neat sort of body drop. Um, I think, therefore, when, when we fall off the building, it is a completely foreign experience to us. It's a completely scary, terrifying experience to us, whatever we're doing. And this elicits a whole bunch of reactions. One of the things that humans do as a social species is we aim to elicit the help and support of our colleagues and friends around us. That's why we do things like cry, go red, uh, call out for help. And screaming is one very good way to, A, get help, B, alert people mm. to danger, because we're very tuned into the sounds of screams. We will pay attention to them. They cut through a lot of the background hubbub, Amelia. Our brains are exquisitely sensitive to the frequencies used in the scream because it's a warning signal to the rest of us. Hey, I'm in danger. You might be too. Mm. JP and Alberton, welcome to the show. Put your question to Chris. Hi, here's Sidious. Are you speaking to me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, sorry, love, I missed out on the food. Uh, I would like to ask the uh, naked scientist with clothes on, um, <laughs> regarding, regarding the cyclones and the earthquakes are, are very difficult weather patterns. Isn't the cyclones uh, um, caused by, you know, these bomb practices that the northern Korea is doing, and all those bombs or whatever lands up in our oceans, and that causes whatever is happening on Earth at the moment. And the same with the earthquakes, I think that's what you call them. Isn't that caused by our fracking and digging for oil and, 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 and uh, mining and things like that? Please, I'd like to know. I'll listen on the radio. Thank you. Go ahead, Chris. 
Mm, terrific questions, these. So, in a nutshell, are our activities yes. causing things like earthquakes to happen and could they also cause things like severe weather to happen? Well, first of all, let's consider the earthquake side of things because uh, our friend Kim Jong-un in North Korea has detonated one or two explosives in recent years and the most recent one measured in China over six on the Richter scale, which is the scale we use to judge the intensity of earthquakes. Now, the reality is that while that sounds like a lot... Um, the Earth is doing its own experiments of this type all the time. And uh, I remember I was down one of the mines near Joburg a few years ago, and I was looking at the chart on the wall, real-time information of where there were earthquakes going off around the region, and there were small tremors being registered all over the place all the time I was out there. And that's true if you ask the US Geological Survey, the, the British Geological Survey, they've got sensor networks all over the place, and they're registering earthquakes going on continuously. So the Earth is continuously on the move, and uh, as a result, it's, it's storing and releasing energy at plate boundaries everywhere. So what we do with a tiny device in the scale, scale of the whole planet it is inconsequential, really. It's not going to make a huge difference. The Earth is, is already doing a very good job at, at trying to destabilise plates and release the energy that's being stored there. So earthquakes in relation to nuclear tests, probably a, a more minimal chance. Um, in terms of weather... Now, this is interesting, and there have been a number of different uh, reports out and uh, test cases now going through courts where people are beginning to say, well, these big industries are producing a lot of greenhouse gases. And we know that the planet is warming. We know that there, there is a relationship that says that there is more water in the atmosphere for every half a degree rise in temperature in, in the world. And if there's more water in the atmosphere, that means there can be more flood, flooding and rainfall. If there's more heat energy in the atmosphere, that means storms are going to move faster, they're going to be more intense, they're going to unleash more energy. Uh, therefore, they're going to do more damage and kill more people. Ergo, the companies that released all the CO2, they're at fault, they're to blame. And people are beginning to explore the possibility of actually suing governments and suing companies who are big emitters or have a duty of care towards the public, um, both at local, national and international level, um, because of these sorts of things. So it's certainly true that the intensification of storms that we're seeing and the increasing frequency of storms could well and probably is related to mm. uh, some of our activities at least. Some of it's natural, but there will certainly be a human effect superimposed top. 18 minutes after 10, this is The Naked Scientist. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. We've got about 12 more minutes with Chris. Give us a call right now on 011-883-0702. And you can put any of your questions about the wonderful world of science to him. And in Cape Town on 021-446-0567. Let's go to Noortuk. Hello, Mary. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Hi, you viewers. Hi, Dr. Chris. I just want to Chris. Hi. World of science and the science of the mouth, if you will. Um, as, as it pertains to root canals, I had a root canal done. I currently have an abscess. The problem is what I've realized is that we have a root canal done. There's no blood supply to the tooth, so it becomes necrotic in the sense that the body wants to get rid of it. So what do I do? Do I remove it? And is, is root canals really uh, still something that must be done or should be done uh, uh, in, you know, in, in the in modern-day dentistry? because it's causing such a lot of havoc with your body uh, reacting and wanting to get rid of this foreign body because it's a dead thing in your in your system. Mm, lovely question. Yeah. Sounds painful as well. Chris? 
Yes. Well, in the old days, people had very little respect for teeth and they, they used to eat a shocking diet in the majority of countries and most people had their teeth ripped out by the time they were in their 20s and some people even had their teeth removed as a wedding present in some countries. And nowadays, we've totally shifted and we realise that conservative dentistry, where you strive to preserve what you are given, what God sort of endowed you with, um, is, is the best way forward. And so dentistry has gone away from destroying teeth to trying to preserve teeth and part of that is to encourage people to eat a healthy diet in the first place and that means not too much sugar and not regular sugar because if you eat regular sugar regular sugar selects for bacteria that live in your mouth that can eat teeth and those bacteria as their population increases turn sugar into acid and acid eats teeth and that then leads to the tooth decay and the tooth decay then leads to things like abscess formation and the necessity to have things like root canal treatment now the thing is the tooth talks to the jawbone that it sits in and it talks to it uh, through mechanical stresses and also there are connections with blood supplies and nerves and things like that. And so there is a mutualistic relationship there. The tooth tells the bone, I'm here, you need to support me and you need to stay strong to support me. And the bone then gives the tooth somewhere to live. So everyone's a winner. If you take the tooth away and you instead put a prosthetic device in there um, or you uh, as the person saying you damage the tooth in the, in the sense that you, you take away the nerve supply and everything, then you end up with this dead tissue sitting in the bone and that conversation is interrupted. And as a result, the bone can weaken, the tooth can loosen, tooth eventually falls out, n not, not terribly good. If you put a prosthetic device in there, like if you put a, a screw into the bone that will then support a, an artificial tooth, it can look great from a cosmetic point of view for a while, but then that conversation again is, is, is lost and the bone can thin and... Uh, as a result, you can have problems. So the best way, the best, best solution is not to go down that route in the first place. And if you avoid the pun, excuse the pun, um, mm. if you can preserve the teeth you have, look after them, clean your teeth several times a day, don't eat loads of sweet things because <laughs> sweet things eat teeth. That's really bad. 21 minutes after 10, pun excused. Let's take a break and we'll take more <laughs> of your questions after this. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. 24 minutes after 10, it is The Naked Scientist. Five more minutes. Let's take uh, some of your questions. Uh, Paulette, is it, in Houghton? Hello. Oh, we just lost her there. Let's go to Pete in Hearties. Hello, Pete. Hi there. Um, my question for Chris is... The wheels of an aeroplane, I understand that they're not turning when the plane lands. They're not spinning at all from the air. But how do the wheels cope with that um, that weight and that instant acceleration without bursting or, or overheating? Hi, Pete. Well, that's because they've been built by very clever engineers who have tested them very, very carefully in lots and lots of simulations because you're absolutely right. You've got something which weighs hundreds of tonnes in some cases coming in. The wheels are not turning and then they suddenly have to be doing 100 plus miles, kilometres, a couple of hundred kilometres an hour as they touch the runway and then run, run along the runway. So that's absolutely a fact, that you have to engineer these things very, very carefully. But remember, they've got very good bearings on these wheels. And so as a result, yeah. as the plane begins to, to touch down, the wheels spin up quite quickly. You can see, though, if you look behind a landing plane, a little puff of smoke, blue smoke behind the wheels. And this is as they literally skid along the runway as they're accelerating and spinning up to speed. Um, so they do wear out. They do wear out quite quickly. And sometimes they do catastrophically fail. But if you look, the other thing that the designers do is they put more than one wheel on each wheel. So a bit like a big heavy yeah. goods vehicle, a big truck. 
you don't have one tyre on the back. You have wheels which are made of clusters of tyres. Aeroplanes will do the same thing, so that if one of them does fail, then the others can still take the load, and they're engineered to do that. And the chances of more than one going at once is extremely remote, so you're likely to get your plane down safely. And someone will go and have a ground check on those wheels all the time. They look at the pressures very carefully, and, uh, and they're, they're replaced very regularly to make sure they're safe. Thank you, okay. Pete. Thanks, Thanks so much for your question. Let's take another one from the SMS line. Someone wants to know from Chris. Please ask Chris, is it only humans or are there other examples in the animal kingdom um, of menstruation that happens every month? No, I think humans are unique in... It might be, there might be some animals that do, but I'm pretty sure that it's this is a human trait. Um, there are most animals have a sort of season, and this is because they they have evolved to have a breeding season to make the breeding season coincide with the best chance of survival for their young. Humans are unusual in the sense that we're very, very social, we look after each other, we can modify the environment we live in quite successfully. So as a result, we can breed all the year round, and we tend to, to therefore have a high success rate of... of the birthing process, whereas other animals, if you gave birth in the middle of winter, there was no food, there were lots of hungry predators around, your animal, your offspring would have a much lower chance of survival. So, um, therefore, a lot of animals have evolved to have a time of the year when they are fertile so that they drop their babies when they have the best prospect of success in terms of growing up and, and having their own babies. Let's go to Centurion. Sean, you get the final question for the week. Hi, Chris and Eusebius. I have a quick question. I work with a lot of youth, uh, Chris, and what I was, uh, the little bit of knowledge I know about the brain is that we've got different sections in the brain. Some are older than, like our neocortex is our newest part of the brain, which is our thinking brain. And then we have our reptilian brain and our limbic system, which is all about keeping us safe. Those are parts of the brains are the ones that take preference as far as I understand. So in other words, it's all about survival and self-preservation. I know it's a deep question, and I'd just like to ask, where does our instinct to, to, to commit suicide come from? Doesn't that override every single instinct inside of us to, to preserve ourselves? And is there any science that's, that's looking at how we can prevent young people from committing suicide? In other words, the chemistry in their brain that's obviously um, allowing them to take their own lives. Um, any thoughts around that area? Hmm. Hello, Sean. Uh, it's a very important issue mm. and it's bothering a lot of people because suicide rates among young people remain very, very high and people obviously want to know why. We, we don't know exactly why this happens in some people and if you ask patients who... Because one of the questions we always ask people when we're assessing people who've come in with low mood or whatever, we always say, you know, have you considered suicide? And it's not like you're trying to put an idea in their head because mm -hmm. at the end of the day these people have often thought about very little else for many days. And then, then you will say to that person, what's stopping you? Um, because obviously you need to know whether someone is at real risk of committing suicide or whether it's just a passing thought. They mm. thought, no, I, I'm not really that serious because people do have these sorts of conversations in their, in their inner self. And actually, the majority of people will say, well, I have thought about it, but I'm not brave enough. And, or I couldn't bring myself to do that. Or I was too much of a scaredy cat. Um, and so... Whilst life is intolerable for some people and they absolutely hate every day, life is awful for them and they just feel so low that they think, this is such an awful existence that I would be better off dead. That's why some people feel that suicide is a good thing to do for them because they can't see a future for themselves. Everything looks grey and dark. At the same time, they, they, th that 
primitive self-preservation instinct is still incredibly strong and surmounts the ability for them to then carry through those thoughts. But in, in some people, they do eventually get to the stage where they just cannot see anything other than bleak future for them because they've lost their perspective and they do... Uh, unfortunately, succeed in committing mm. suicide. Huh. Um, and, it, and it's very, very sad. But at the same time, um, what we do know is that when people have their perspective restored and you show them you know, that they were in a deep, dark place and, th and they get better and they can see uh, actually what is on offer in life, then they sometimes can't understand why they did feel like that. And the good news is yes. that there are, is help out there. There are people who can help you and there are, there are ways to get better. It's not, it's not mm. a terrible... Um, never-ending gloomy thing and you you can be helped you are in that situation please do seek help because the chances are you can get better absolutely thank you so much for those words as well and for sharing your knowledge as you do every week with us chris have a beautiful week ahead we'll chat to you next friday thanks you see you soon bye-bye